Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Did you see it's supposed to be like 85 today and it's yeah. December now? Yeah, I was like this. I, I was like, I don't know what to wear. Well, at least the writers aren't coming to my house today, so we won't be sitting outside. That's true. By the way, last year at this time, I was it was negative 40 for me. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we're going to explore why I felt guilty over the Thanksgiving holiday and what I can do about it. We've also got an LVS about something that Liz finds completely relaxing and I do not. And this week's Hollywood hack is going to improve your life in the long run. First, Sarah, we have a couple of updates to share. In episode 236, we talked about different kinds of decision-making styles. Yes. I am the path of least resistance decision-making style. (laughs) And we asked listeners to add to our list of types of decision-makers, and we got this from Becky. Yes, so Becky wrote, so how about decision by default? For those people who are unable, unsure, or simply too paralyzed to make a choice, so they wait until things have gotten past the point of being able to decide on their own. The decision is made for them. Not sure which dress you want? Maybe one sells out by the time you figure it out, so your decision gets made for you. In our travel agency, I've seen it happen at times too. A client can't decide between a couple destinations for a vacation whether the price is good or what hotel they want at said destination. Then when they do, maybe that deal is gone or the hotel is all booked up. Oh, that's so true. That is definitely yes. a category of decision maker. I have done that with plane tickets before. You know, can't I can't yes. decide which day I want to go on. And then by the time you decide, the prices are radically different. And you so the decision becomes obvious. Yes. It's funny because we talked about Annie Duke's book, How to Decide. And in that, she talks about how travel is one of those things where people, they just like agonize over it. And really, it's just like, oh, Paris or Copenhagen. You're going to have a good time. (laughs) Both are good. Yeah. Yes. So a decision by, by default, at least in terms of travel, is probably okay. 
Yes, but I do think a lot of people make decisions by default. When she said it, it rang so true. Hopefully, we won't be doing that at all this season on Fantasy Island. Oh, I hope not. (laughs) And Sarah, I also want to read a letter from a listener who responded actually to a gold star I gave on Happier. Mm -hmm. The gold star was to our mutual high school friend, Miguel Sancho. He wrote an amazing book called More Than You Can Handle, A Rare Disease, A Family in Crisis, and the Cutting-Edge Medicine that Cured the Incurable. And it's a memoir about his son who had this seemingly incurable disease that ultimately was cured. And it's a really honest account of what that's like. You know, you want to think you're going to be gracious and always (laughs) high-minded and act right. And Miguel really wrote about sort of the raw truth of what that's like and how hard it is. But it was really a great book. And so we heard from Susie, who said, Greetings. Several months ago, you shared that you were reading more than you can handle. Although I was admittedly multitasking as I listened, this really got my attention. Long story short, my adult son, who also has chronic granulomatous disease, enters the National Institute of Health tomorrow for a life-changing bone marrow transplant. I have been reading everything I can find to prepare myself for the months to come, and this book was very informative. My son was seen at Duke for years, so we are very familiar with the wonderful children's hospital there and the surrounding city of Durham. I should say a lot of the book takes place um, at Duke. I am forever grateful to you for sharing this book with your readers. This mom has read it twice and will likely reread it in the coming weeks and months. Wow, Susie, thank you for sharing that. Obviously, we send our very best wishes to you and to your son. The book is so beautiful. Um, And I listened to it on audio. And just hearing Miguel read it, I think, made it even more powerful. So we're we're very happy that it's reaching the right people. Yes. And it, it's really just a, a great, even if you obviously don't have a sick child, it's just um, a, a really, it gets to all the humanness in all of us. Yes. And of course, we'll link to the book in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Okay, Sarah, it's time for From the Treadmill Desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's guilt, specifically the guilt that I'm feeling whenever I take a day off. Ugh, Liz, it makes me so sad that you're feeling this guilt because we just talked about boundaries on the podcast. And obviously, already we're having... (laughs) We're having a little bit of a hard time putting up our boundaries. Yes. So, Sarah, this really came up over the Thanksgiving holiday. So I love Thanksgiving. I mean, I had a great time. Let me be clear about that. Um, I went to Phoenix and had Thanksgiving with Adam's whole family. It was wonderful. But, like, the whole time I had this tiny pit in my stomach. And at first I thought it was free-floating anxiety because we do – get free-floating anxiety quite often. But I realized it was actually guilt because I felt like, oh my God, I'm taking a day off. I I did no work, you know, in this certain period of time. And it really was getting to me. Not that I wanted to do work. I didn't. (laughs) But I felt guilty about it. Yes. It's hard because I think 
we as a society are in general conditioned to feel at this point like we should be working all the time. Yes. And then the two of us specifically have just been through this incredibly intense work period where it's like when all you do is work, you start to feel like that's what you should be doing and that's what's normal. And that, you know, you sort of owe all these people all this energy and effort all the time. Yes. And it's hard to get out of that mode. Yeah, I definitely think my guilt feeling is a holdover from last season because I still have this feeling like if we step away for a moment, like step away from the keyboard, <laughs> that like the wheels will come off the entire endeavor of season two yeah. of Fantasy Island. So like I would have all these dates, like due dates, like rushing through my mind. And it was like almost like a matrix thing where I just felt like I was seeing that grid of the schedule <laughs> like in front of my eyes, like panicking over when we had stuff due, even if it's not due for, you know, two months. It's just that feeling of never going to be able to catch up. And so who am I to take time off, which is ridiculous because I know that taking time off is important for productivity. Yeah. I know that we'll be in the long run more productive for everyone having taken Thanksgiving off than if we had like decided for some insane reason we wanted to work on Thanksgiving. Right. Yes. And it's interesting because I'm definitely inclined to feel that guilt like you were feeling. But this time... I actually didn't. I did not feel guilt when I was enjoying myself Good. and hanging out with Violet over the Thanksgiving holiday. And I think the reason why is that, like, during our actual time off, like, when we had time between season one and season two, we weren't actually off. We were doing post. I think I literally got the last post-related email for season one a week into the room of season mm -hmm. two. Right. So like <laughs> the overlap was real. And then, you know, the entire time we were in quotes off, we were preparing for the pitch for season two, doing post for season one, stressing about the pickup right. or prepping for season two. Like we really didn't have any any days where there was not a mental load of some kind. And we did declare ourselves on yes, hiatus. Yes, we did. But it, we literally, like, declared ourselves on hiatus, and then, like, two days later, the show got picked up. So, Yes, that was, was like, pretty funny. Very short. We should have declared ourselves on hiatus much sooner. Anyway, yeah. so I didn't feel that guilt. I yeah, think it's, it's just the habit, the sense of a habit that we should just, like, work, 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 work. Like you were saying, our bodies feel funny when we're not working, and I think yes. that's true. I really yeah. do feel a physical thing when not yes. working. Yeah. Now, one thing, Sarah, because I said in the intro, I, one thing I wanted to talk about is what can I do about this feeling? Because yes. I don't want to be feeling guilty. Now, what I did, and I don't know if it was a burden to you, but I texted you and said, like, basically, tell me not to feel guilty. Now, hopefully you didn't mind that. It didn't then trigger your feelings. That's what I, but I couldn't resist. No, it was good actually, because it made me realize that I wasn't feeling guilty, which I want to say is different than not feeling stress. Like I did wake up in the middle of the night, a couple nights going like, I wonder what the act three break is for two right. or two, you know, like it, it's not like it wasn't there, Yeah. but your text reminded me or sort of made me look inward and go, oh, wait a minute. 
I don't feel guilty. And then be able to validate for you, like you don't have to feel guilty. So yes. I, I, that was good. That was a good strategy. Yeah, I don't know what else I can do um, because again, we're committed to at least trying as much as possible to take weekends off, not work around the clock. And so I need to develop strategies um, for dealing with this. Now, hopefully the more we do it, the easier it will be also. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned one earlier, which is just to remind yourself that when you're taking time off, you're actually re-energizing for work. That is, yes, that is helpful because again, it feels like, well, the result is the same, which is work. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You were saying it was great not to get work emails from other people, which showed us that other people were also taking time off. Otherwise, we would have been getting emails. So I need to remember that, like, that is just like humanity takes time off. Yes. You are not As alone should. in your downtime. Yeah. As we all should. Absolutely. And I don't want to, here's a good one. I don't want to teach Jack that, like, life is just all about working all the time. Ugh. I don't want to model that behavior. Yeah. That is a very good point. And I think it's very easy to do that with our kids, especially because we're working from home right now. Well, that's all we're doing is working. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it because it really does blur the lines. And I'm sure a lot more is going to be written about post-COVID how much the lines are blurred between work and at home. Yes, absolutely. So anyway, well, thank you for telling me not to feel guilty. I'm going to work on this. And I want to know, do you feel guilty when you take days off? How do you combat that guilt? Please email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Coming up, we debate sound baths. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, it's time for LVS in which we discuss slash debate something that we don't necessarily agree about. Today, it's a very specific thing. It's sound baths. Okay, so Liz, you recently went to a sound bath. Well, yes. And first, I should probably explain what a sound bath is. Some people may not know. A sound bath is sort of a meditation, but with sound. And it's a lot of times people playing crystal bowls or Tibetan singing bowls, often like small sort of gongs and shakers. And this one had the flute 
that I went to. And depending on the situation, these instruments are played nearby you, or sometimes they're on your person, like a bowl might be placed on your stomach and your chest, and then you really feel the vibrations. And I love sound baths. Yeah, and Sarah, this topic came up because uh, recently... Adam and I went to a full moon meditation and sound bath. So we went to someone's house and we went outside. We got saged, which is always nice because that's the sound of kind of feathers and whatever else, that which sets the stage for the yeah, sound I love bath. Love a good saging. Love a good saging. <laughs> and then we all went around um, a fire And there were these wonderful pillows and blankets, and we laid down under the full moon, and she guided us through a meditation, and then two two people did the sound bath. And to me, there is nothing more relaxing, sort of the opposite of what I was talking about with feeling guilt of taking days off earlier, (laughs) nothing relaxes me more than a sound bath. I mean including a massage. Like I melt into the ground when I have a sound bath. It's just the most wonderful thing. And I tried to get you into this sound bath experience and you did not like it. Yeah. I have to tell you, everything you're saying sounds wonderful. I All of it, every single element of it, you know, the saging and the laying down and the fire sounds great and the meditation I love. And I love a good gong. Like I'm a big gong uh-huh. fan. It's the bowls. Okay. It's the, which are a fundamental element of a sound bath, which I would think I would love, but I find it so grating. We did a sound bath together. Yes. And it was like, it's the only time I've ever felt irritation and displeasure while meditating. I was so like, it just grates on my last nerve. I can't take it. And and it's not all of it. The low tones are Mm. good. Mm. It's really like some of those high tones. It's like, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me, which is not what you want to feel in a meditation. And you said you found it to be very intense. Yes. Well, like when you talk about the vibration on your body, putting a bowl on your body and the vibration of that. I, same, it's just the nails on a chalkboard feeling. It makes it, I find it really overwhelming. I'm getting like so tense just talking about it. I'm like, "Ah, yeah, it's not, it's just so (laughs) funny because, you know, why are we impacted so differently by these things? I don't know. But it just shows how we all relax in our own ways. Yes. Well, and what I love about it, Liz, is that you were engaging in spontaneous self-care. Like, this came up very last minute, this particular yes. sound bath, and you were like, yes, I'm going. I am well, and, all yes. over it. Yes, and I have to give a shout out to Adam because I went up to him and I said, how would you feel about going to a full moon meditation and sound bath tonight? And he said, yeah, that sounds good, which, I mean, I wasn't expecting So um, shout out to Adam because we had a lovely like couples evening. I mean, I have to say, Liz, this sounds so Ojai. I know. Well, I said to you, this is so, I feel I've moved to Ojai. It's like you're, you know, osmosis, right? 
Yes. And then, Sarah, you also, though, engaged in spontaneous self-care. Yes, totally different kind. Yesterday, Violet and I were spending the day in Long Beach. She loves, like, the Long Beach Harbor where the aquarium is. And we very randomly ended up going on a harbor cruise, and it was freezing, and so I, like, <laughs> asked the aquarium to let me back into the gift shop so I could buy a sweatshirt. And we both like were snuggling in the same sweatshirt on the harbor cruise. And it was so, that was very relaxing. Spontaneous fun is a form of spontaneous self-care. And it was so nice. So I'm all for that. Just <laughs> no sound baths, okay. please. Not for me. <laughs> By the way, I feel like spontaneous self-care, like we have to do something with that. You know, we need to like make it a mission. Yes. To do spontaneous self-care. I'm loving this phrase. And I, I feel it's going to become part of our lingo. Our mutual lexicon. I do. I have okay. that feeling. You're like, oh, I need some spontaneous self-care right yep. now. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, do what you do to relax. You, it doesn't have to relax everybody as long as it relaxes you. Exactly. Coming up, we have a mentoring Hollywood hack. But first, this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood hack, which is pick a mentor whose life you like. Okay, so we need to talk about this a little bit. We heard this from someone, and we cannot remember if it was a listener or another writer we know or an assistant, but someone recently said that the advice they had gotten was that when you're looking for a mentor, don't just pick someone whose career you admire, or whose, whose work you admire. Pick someone who has the life that you want to have. And I thought, oh, my God, this is like epiphany. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the wisest things I've ever heard. Because, of course, it's not really just about the work. Like, there are people whose work I admire who I would never want to follow in that way, who, who I don't want to learn from about big picture things. But somebody whose work you admire and whose life you admire, now that's somebody who you can really get wisdom from. Yeah. Well, and I do think like if someone has a certain kind of life, especially one that's extremely focused on work, if that's, if you want to be a person who's going to have a full life, not just, if you want to just work, that's fine too. But if you right. don't want that, there's no doubt that there are people out there, and they are probably the kind of people who also often mentor, um, who really do things a specific way and have very strong opinions that everyone else should do it the same way. I mean, we know writers, for instance, who might be willing to mentor, who have very strong opinions about <laughs> the amount 
of time someone should spend on their show versus on their family, for instance. Yes, yes. So if you if that's the person who's teaching you, that's what you're going to learn. Right. And you're not going to learn the techniques to use in, in order to have a, a life that's more balanced. And I mean, this is certainly true for any profession, right? I mean, oh, yeah. can't you see like a doctor, for example? I mean... There've got to be so many different kinds of mentors in the medical world who have these different kinds of lives. Absolutely. And it's interesting to me because if you find a mentor whose life you like, you're probably finding someone whose values are aligned with yours. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of genuinely integrate your own values into the balance of your life. It's not just going to be about like, this mentor believes that you should, we know someone who thinks that women shouldn't have uh, kids until their executive producer level. That is not our belief. So no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I would not necessarily say that you may believe that, in which case, that would be a good mentor for you. Yes. We don't. We might be a better mentor if you don't believe that. Like, it really does matter. And I had never thought about it that way before until we heard this person, whoever they are, <laughs> say this. Yeah, so I'm so sorry that we can't give this person credit. I know. Or their, whoever told them this uh, piece of advice. But Nonetheless, we wanted to share it with everyone because I think a lot of our listeners are aspiring, whether they're aspiring writers, aspiring lawyers, whatever you are aspiring to, you're likely looking for a mentor. And it's really important who you choose or who you ask. Yes. So choose someone whose life you like. Yes. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please follow us if you haven't already. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, king of remote recording still. And thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcast. Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing from Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at sfain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. So wait, did you actually have bowls on you? Did someone do a, a bowl vibration? Not at this sound bath, but I've had it done before. But she did sort of walk around with the bowls, so you got your own um, sort of extra vibration. And it was absolutely lovely. <laughs> so that's like, uh, like someone grinding my teeth. It just <laughs> sounds terrible. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> From the Onward Project.